Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. For the third consecutive season, the Atlanta Braves have clinched the National League East, and we're here to talk about it with you on the Batter Up Podcast, your official Atlanta Braves podcast from 92.9 The Game and Radio.com. I'm Will Pelagic, joined by Joe Patrick and Caleb Johnson. Happy day after clinch day to you, Joe Patrick. Uh, thank you, Will. Same to you. And happy day after clinch day to you, Caleb Johnson. Whoop, whoop. We in the playoffs. <laughs> <laughs> and And I do feel like it's not, it's very much okay to be celebratory about something of this nature from the Braves' perspective, given how much adversity. You know, I said it on Twitter last night. There wasn't a team that played against a more stacked deck more admirably, I believe, than the Atlanta Braves, given the fact that you had a team that lost so much starting pitching during the regular year. You had injuries to very key members of your team, and not to even count the Freddie Freeman COVID scare that started the season, not having Nick Markakis for a while, the opt-outs beforehand. I do feel like if there's a team that galvanized itself throughout the enormity and really unforeign, or I guess the foreign nature of this 60-game season, it's the Atlanta Braves, Joe. Yeah, you know, I keep thinking, I'm very kind of proud of this team um, because of, like you said, everything that they've had to face. And I keep going back to um, Brian Snicker talked to media. I want to say it was on the 4th of July, or maybe it was the 3rd of July, um, the the first day of essentially the, the spring training 2.0. And it was the day that they announced Freddie Freeman was, uh, you know, had, had, was positive for COVID. Um, they were going to miss him. And I remember the thing I remember from that was Brian Snicker and some of the players that talked, saying that the most important thing about the season was going to be um, adaptability. Whatever teams were able to adapt to the conditions of this kind of crazy, unprecedented season were going to be the ones that had the most success. And obviously, you need some talent along with it. And the Braves obviously have that in spades. And this team was exactly that, you know, and it wasn't necessarily just down to COVID, just down to the the scheduling, the the protocols of going on the road. It was it was the ability of this team to adapt to all the different injuries and all the different ailments that struck them. Both obviously we we well documented everything that's helped happened in the starting rotation, um, but even guys like Ronald Acuna missing two weeks for or uh, Ozzy Albie's missing a month, which is 
half the season. <laughs> you know, um, there were lots of disruptions to this team. You went into that opening series to start the season without either of your catchers who were sick, um, who was just somehow miraculously both got sick at the same time but didn't have COVID, which is amazing. Um, mm-hmm. But just just an amazing kind of story of this team. And and especially when it, with individuals like Freddie Freeman, a guy who, you know, obviously suffered from COVID. It was really bad and then comes around and has an MVP season. Uh, just an incredible story. And I said it after the game. I think this is Brian Snicker's best managing job because of all of this stuff. You know, it wasn't the normal season. It wasn't just plug and play these guys, let them go out there for 162 games and let the talent take over. You know, I, I don't, and it's not to say that he was necessarily like micromanaging this team to victory, but it was just his, his general presence, I think, was just such a stabilizer for this team that allowed them to really use all of their talents that they had at their disposal and go out there and, and, and make it count in the standings. Yeah, Caleb, I feel like a lot of people again, before this season, kind of criticized the the lack of panic nature from Brian Snitker and, and looked at him as, as almost being like someone who doesn't necessarily go rah-rah and throw chairs around. But I think it's, it's that calm demeanor. It's that resilient demeanor that's the key and reason why the Braves are sitting in the position that they are. Yeah, and it's also one of those things where he's willing to do things that would be seem, seem like you know, unorthodox. Otherwise, him being willing to, you know, move Freddie up to the to the two hole and kind of figure things out, uh, you know, right behind with Azuna, and then whether it was you know Darno or Duval or, or or whatever it was uh, of just taking Freddie out of that you know his standard spot or whatever, and and did it. In a and hey, what I would say is a, like a young person's way. He just sent Freddie a text. There was no <laughs> like, like you know. I mean, for, for you're his, hitting second. Yeah, but <laughs> but it's one of those things you would I would tend to think based on Brian Snicker is closer to my grandparents' age than he is my age, and they don't text really. So <laughs> you know, so I would think of you know Snit making a phone call and. You know, yeah, Freddie. You know, I think based on this, this, this. You know, well, we're gonna we're gonna move you up in the lineup. But it was like, nope, just send a text. You know, but it was just like those those little things. Like, it's not a big deal. This is what we're just gonna. This is what we're gonna do. This is how we're gonna handle the different situations as they present uh, as they present to us. And and by the time you get to the end of the season, you know, I mean, there's there's one more series, but the Braves lead their their closest opponent in the division by five games. So uh, without a starting, without a true starting rotation, I mean, they've been piecemeal and stuff together. So yes, I would like to, to take the moment and, you know, become a little fond and, and appreciate the 60 game season before we head into uh, this playoffs that could, that could go a, a plethora of ways. How, so cer- speaking of that can. 60 game season how did you guys how did you guys enjoy the uh i mean it's not over technically but how, how did you enjoy the the 60 games did it did it make it you I, feel any different as you were kind of tracking the season as somebody who was the the biggest proponent of a 60 game season you joe patrick i i feel like i like it better than 162 but i don't like it so much to where i want it to be the norm i feel like if you mm-hmm. if you took half of that if you made it 112 i'd be I'd feel like that's enough because I mean I, I get to the 100 game point of a regular season normally, and I think we kind of know who people are at that point. Like we we know who's good by that point. We don't need 
162 to determine what happens. And, and we talked about this a little bit last week. Look, I, I don't want the current mode of the postseason to be what rings out. But I also feel like the problem that a lot of people are going to have going into next season is is you are going to have some fatigue. You are going to have some mm-hmm. uh, of the people who are more new age, who want things to be, you know, more instant gratification, who are going to want more playoffs. And I just, I, you're taking away, I think Bob Costas said this on a podcast with Jason Stark of The Athletic, and he said, you're taking away what makes baseball great when you do things like that. And I feel like that's the part of it that I think you're going to lose a lot of people. And again, I know that baseball uh, goes through this periodically. Anytime there's a change, you don't want to offend your core fan base, mortgage that with the risk of trying to pick up others. The, the way you pick up others is by making the game inside of it more compelling, not any shortening or lengthening of the season or shortening or lengthening of the postseason. I feel like if you're going to make baseball better, it needs to be something done in terms of the pace of play inside the actual game. Yeah. Now, there have been some rules that have, have tried to contribute to that, but I do feel like there's still more that can be done to to speed up the pace of play in terms of that so that it isn't a game that drags so much. I mean, we had games during this season, guys, where we're two hours and not even in the fourth or fifth inning. Like that, If there's one thing that this season exacerbated, it's the need for more crackdown on pace of play rules. Yeah, yeah. No, I agree with you about yeah. If, if you want to change it, you can't really change the the season. I mean, it's it's just it's too much of a change. I enjoyed the sixty game season. It's not something I would want every year. You know, it was just a kind of a nice change of pace, and it gave a different tenor to the season because we. I mean, we experienced it. I'm sure I'm not the only one who you know after the Braves lose three games in a row or something, it feels like you're on the edge of a catastrophe about to happen uh, just because you know how valuable those games are and how kind of you know close the standings can can shrink down um you know leads and and things like that in the standings when you lose three games in a row like that like you wouldn't normally be worried about in a normal season so i enjoyed it i would like the one i think if there was any kind of one structural um change that was made this season that i would like to see stick around is the seven inning double headers i thought those were great yes absolutely agreed yeah as as far as like the 60 games i guess the the length of it didn't bother me as much as the compactness of the season that became and and it's one of those as someone doing this podcast this is a baseball podcast you know like we're supposed to love the sport yeah but but i found myself just like Good grief! Another like another game like another, like there's a I, I you know I, I've gone uh, that first stretch where I think uh, we were supposed to go twenty games and I think we ended up only going like seventeen or eighteen because of a, a rain out or rain something. Out, yeah. uh, but it was one of those you know just having those nightly interactions with my wife where she's like, "Oh, Braves are on again." Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, oh I of, got those. I can identify yeah, with those interactions. Yeah. So it's one of those that just, uh, and COVID or not, I kind of got into a nightly routine of things that I like to do before we had baseball. And then it showed up and it was there every single day. And then it obviously presented problems when teams had COVID cases or whatever. And, and you know, I mean, the, the Marlins have just been the one thing like I, you know, I mean, 
they'll they'll make the playoffs or whatever, but they they aren't the the best team. But just the fact that they were able to deal with yeah. as many games as they missed and still make the postseason, like they were still they were still those storylines that that we're used to seeing in a full season. I'm I'm with Will, and I I if I believe if I remember correctly, back at the beginning when we were starting this podcast. I was a proponent of like 112 games, you know, somewhere around that number, just because the 162, it it, it seemed that in that stretch past the summer and before the playoffs, that it just started to drag. Mm-hmm, yeah. and, you know, it seems like it does that every year, and so maybe being able to to shorten that would, uh, you know, w- would bring. I don't know, just more eyeballs and would keep the focus a little bit longer. Um, but overall, yes, as far as this particular specific season goes, you know, we, we want to talk about legitimacy and all of those things that we were concerned about at <laughs> yeah. the beginning of the Seems season. Like so long ago. Yeah. Yeah. Completely legitimate season. Totally. Yep. Se- yes. You know, great ideas came from it. Like you said, seven inning games, uh, seven inning double headers. I would push for seven inning games, but I've also heard, (laughs) but I've, but I've, I've heard, uh, baseball, you know, people who are smarter in baseball than me say that that really would shift the game with starting pitching and all that kind of stuff. And so I like, okay, I'll, I'll take seven inning double headers at least. Um, and it, you know, I, I think we've gotten a really entertaining product on the field, uh, throughout this 60 game season. I'll say this about shortening the season. It's, I don't want to say it's never going to happen, but oh, it's never it's, going to happen. Yeah. It's got to happen on the owner's terms, and it's got to happen in a way that allows them to still make the kind of money that they make at the gate. Because we talked yeah. about this right. before the season even started. The baseball revenues are as dependent on the gate as any of the major sports, with the exception of maybe Major League Soccer. And again, that's only for the particular teams like Atlanta, who actually draw a sizable amount. And so from the standpoint of baseball, they make that gate, a lot of that, with the season ticket holders, and they make a lot of that gate before the season. And so will you still be able to make that much of a sizable dent in your uh, in your revenue stream? Before the season, will people still want to buy season tickets if the price goes up per game because you have less of them? And I think that's that that, that old uh, scarcity property of economics that uh, really kind of kicks into to full gear there. Uh, I'm wondering if it'd be the same type of situation if, say, the number was 140 or 120 or whatever it had to be in order to maximize the type of eyeballs and 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 really put more of a spotlight on the postseason, and uh, it'll be interesting to see if any of those type of discussions come up as part of the next collective bargaining agreement, which we have about a year from now. Oh, <laughs> uh, have I to mean, bring up I'm the just, collective bargaining agreement. Right? Yeah, well, so I get it. Moving on the background. <laughs> because no. that's the thing, no, but but no, but but that's the, that's the whole big part of it, is that we've all kind of been in this little two-month area of collected bliss. You know, I've got three screens sitting in my living room right now. You know, two of them are usually on baseball and one's on another sport. I mean, we're we're in this nice, great overload nirvana of sports. But there are real-world issues that we're going to have to deal with when it comes to the sporting world, and especially in baseball, come this time next year because 
let's be real. It's not as if that acrimony between the Major League Baseball owners and the players all of a sudden disappeared into thin air. Like, oh no, I for mean, sure. I'm just, and, I'm just saying that I'm a procrastinator, and so I don't like to think about that. <laughs> and I even I think about this. To. I even think about this, and I hate to bring a cross sport, cross sport comparison, and this is a little bit different. But there was a an article done by ESPN on the NHL's bubble. Greg Wyshynski, Emily Kaplan did a an amazing expose talking to nine anonymous players who played in the NHL, who talked about the promises that were given and the things that they did not receive in terms of the amenities in the bubble. And I'm not saying that there's necessarily anything to that effect when it comes to Major League Baseball, but I, I wouldn't be shocked if something similar came out in that form or fashion when it comes to baseball with guys talking candidly about how this year went. And while people talk about it in glowing matters now, and if you're a champion, you're going to talk about it in even more glowing matters as a result of that, I have a sneaking suspicion we're going to see similar types of comments made by players, and you're seeing it right now. Joe, you mentioned it last night. We were talking about Andrelton Simmons, who opted out with just five days left of the season for the Angels. Uh, guys, unless there's uh, a payoff that comes with postseason and things of that nature, I think a lot of players kind of felt like, I don't want to say it was a sham, but I do feel like some questioned the legitimacy of doing this and like, why are we doing this every day uh, for, again, what was ended up being 40 percent of our uh, of our promised salary? There's uh, I think there's still a little bit of that acrimony that exists in baseball's underbelly, even though a lot of it's being shadowed right now by the good feelings that we have with sports being back. Yeah, I think we'll hear some of that. Uh, I think we'll hear some of the complaining as well from the bubble. I not mean, to be the Nelly, not just, to be the naysayer, and then the negative Nelly of the group. I'm just saying. I mean, let's be honest. Bubbles suck. Like, I mean, they're yes. great for keeping out coronavirus, but like, as a living as a healthy, mentally, well, physically healthy human being, they, I guess, for physically, they can help you live healthier, but uh, they're not a good place to be in. You know, like you'd, you'd rather not be in that situation. So I, I definitely expect it to be kind of a. It'll be. It'll, I think it will be a shock to the system for a lot of these kinds of these players. Yeah, and it'll. <laughs> I I've been a a guy big time against this uh this MLB playoff bubble just because, like who what other league, just does this right at the at the postseason? Like hey, you've been playing one way all season, we're gonna completely switch it up on you. And then Joe, you know, as you were saying, the bubbles—the only good th that it, thing that it is good for is to keep coronavirus out. And I listened to the, some of the commissioner's comments about things that he wants to happen in this bubble, and I'm like, doesn't sound like a bubble to me. Sounds like <laughs> you. Sounds like you are trying to, you know, show off your newest facility in the league. Uh, right. But, you know. Right. I yeah. 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 I know. <laughs> you know? It's like. Right, the as we've talked about this whole time, it's like the bubble's only as tight as you you make it. You well, know, yeah, because you can, you can you allow can't... all kinds of vulnerabilities, and, and then it's not a bubble. I say I, I know basically the the footprint of where the Braves would have to go if they end up staying in that uh, in that LDS, and they, and they will basically in the LDS. They probably play in Houston. Uh, is a situation where uh, they're going to be right downtown and within walking distance of the ballpark, and. That's basically it. I mean, you got a very, you yeah, got a couple of very well, nice hotels down there, but you're basically going to be told, "Hey, hotel ballpark, hotel ballpark." That's it. Well, and I and I think one of the things that people listening need to understand is it's easy to go, "Well, the NBA did this, and 
MLS did this and WNBA did this. And it's like, no, 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 no. They, they did it from the beginning. So there was a routine built in. There were, you know, people got used to the lifestyle being without their families. And you just somewhat, they were building up this tolerance, whether they were hiding things on the inside, at least on the outside, you know, they, they had, had, like I said, built some form of tolerance so to push this now in the postseason where you've been playing one way, you've been around your family as, as much as you know you're you're comfortable with or whatever, uh, to switch this up now, I think it's going to bring about a totally different product because of how some teams will adapt to it, some teams will struggle. You're playing in a in a ballpark, you if you're the Braves, you haven't all season. And, and you know, all of these just little things, I think we're just completely looked over yeah. for the owners and uh, Commissioner Rob Manfred going. We got to get that playoff money by mm-hmm. any means necessary. I mean, either of these, either of these stadiums, Caleb. You know, they haven't played in Houston in a while. I don't think, and they've yeah. never played in the in the New yeah. Arlington building. Yeah, so that's great. That's great. If you make the World Series, we're gonna stick you in a stadium you've never seen before. And and that's how baseball is played, right? Yeah. Well, no. Hey, I mean, not to, to, not to mention, I feel salty about the Arlington building because they did not need to tear down the other building. But that's just my own separate <laughs> soapbox. To kind of tie this back to the Braves, I think again, it all it comes back to what I was talking about earlier yeah. with what Brian Snicker totally said at the right. beginning of the yeah. season, which is that the teams that do the best in this season are going to be the ones that are able to adapt to the weird conditions of the season. And I think that mm-hmm. the Braves, with the kind of young team that they have, the kind of um. I don't want to like say that like the Braves players are like more humble uh, than like players on another team, but I, they just seem to have shown themselves to be players yeah. this season who it's, have been able to adapt to those conditions. So I would think that they would be able to cope with it all pretty well. It's the right experience of youth and yeah, it's youth a good blend. And seasoning. Well, and you've got the, the leaders on the team are guys like Freddie Freeman who really can kind of set the right tone for a lot of these guys. Yeah, and and it is you, you were talking about that humility. It's one of those that can become frustrating for media at times because as I've joked about before, like Adam Duvall, one of the worst interviews ever, not because he's <laughs> rude or anything, just because the day that he had the the back to back three home run game and they're talking to him post game press conference, they're like you know, I mean, media's drooling over themselves. Bullpen to did be a great like, job tonight. Yeah. Bullpen did a great job. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, they're like, I mean, you've got to, you've got to realize this is an incredible feat, just never been done before. And and Adam's like, yeah, yeah, you know. And Freddie, when he got fifteen hundred hits, he's like, ah, yeah, Bat Boy told me, and I'm like, oh, good, now I can get this out of the way. Like, you know, uh, just. You know, mm. focus on the team, and it's like, and it's genuine. Like this is yeah. not a, this is not a. Oh, I gotta feed this to the media so they will paint me in a certain way. And and Alex Anthopoulos, to his credit, he has always said from day one when he talks about bringing in players, he talks about their player profile, and of course that includes their attributes, what they're good at, how they can fill roles that the team needs. But part of that player profile is how they're going to fit into (laughs) the Braves clubhouse. And you got to give him credit. I think Brian Snigger gets a lot of credit for this as well, for like being the guy who's the captain of the ship, kind of keeping everybody steady Eddie. But 
Alex Anthopoulos sets it up so that Brian Snicker can succeed in doing that because he brings in players who are not going to rock the boat. Like, you know, I know that um, the Braves were kind of sniffing around uh, Grandal, the catcher for the that went to the White Sox, but I don't think they were super um, impressed with the way he would have come in and kind of uh, been a fit inside this locker room. And I thought that they, and we've seen Travis Darno come in and fit like glue, you know, like just like a, yes. the perfect fit for this team. And he's obviously, I think when you get a perfect fit like that with a, their characters, just people who are will easily get along with each other, you'll see the performance on the field. And that's what we've seen from a guy like Darno. So I think you got to give uh, Alex Anthopoulos a lot of credit for kind of building that, uh, helping build that clubhouse chemistry that the Braves have. Well, while I, we're giving him, while we're giving him credit. I do want to point out that one of his moves during the offseason <laughs> gave us three and a third innings of work for the entire season. Oh, I thought you were going to go the other way. but $6.7 million worth of nothing. Oh, he also $20,000 per pitch. He also signed a guy for a one-year contract who could win a triple crown this year. Yep. So Yes, <laughs> yes. You're very true. And, well, and as I was telling you guys in the group chat, because you know we were uh, to kind of like, give the listeners a little peek in. We were talking about the Phillies GM not wanting to to discuss any, you know, anything about his future with the club, which is just very Pass. awkward. And yeah, yeah, super, <laughs> super uncomfortable. But uh, that guy... Murky. But Murky the, future at best. But Phillies GM signed two players, JT Real Muto and Bryce Harper, two guys that Braves fans were dying for. And I, I mean, I was big one on Real Muto. Mm-hmm. Uh, my, my loathing of Bryce Harper being a rival and just his personality caused me to, I, you know, I never wanted to see him play for the Braves, and a lot of Braves fans were willing to, to kind of put that to bed in order to have him play. But it's one of those; those were big money deals, and it is not working out yeah <laughs> well well again you're mentioned you mentioned the team but you didn't mention the guy that i wanted and that was zach wheeler and that's i'm not yeah. saying zach wheeler turns everything over or upside down but i think it turns this rotation from hey maybe we can get by to oh my goodness we can win a world series and yes. i'm not saying you can't win a world series because i think this lineup is going to keep you in games i'm going to say that right off the bat i believe this lineup is going to keep you in games because i don't think games are going to be played the way they usually are in october i think it's going to be an extension of the regular season it's something we've talked about over the course of the season i feel like it is going to be an extension and i think the point you made caleb about the bubble being a different type of environment than we usually have i think is going to contribute to that the problem is that I believe, and again, this is just my own feeling, is that I feel like the organization is seeing certain uh, positive signs that are going to make them try and once again try and cut a corner during this offseason when it comes to any type of starting pitching help for this team. And and again, that's still in the offing. We still got to get through a postseason, but I do feel like you cannot cut corners. You have to go out and get a frontline starter at some point in this offseason because of the fact that the pitching that you've developed is not on the level that I think you need it to be in order to win a World Series with this group. It just isn't. But, it, go ahead, it, Joe. It, well, we were chatting about this last night. I'm glad we're kind of taking this topic up again because I think it's really interesting, especially though I think it's really interesting the way that things have turned out for the Braves this year. And this is kind of not yep. including Mike Fultonevich. To me, that's kind of a different story where he was a an established, well, he was an established was, veteran that you were expecting something from that you didn't get. Yeah, and that and Fulty was going to happen regardless of 
anything yeah. else. Right, right. Yes. So uh, so clearly the strategy from the Braves front office this year was to kind of use Cole Hamels and a guy like Felix Hernandez to essentially be the bridge to kind of get you to some of these younger prospects, these younger starting pitching prospects that the Braves have, guys like that we've seen this year, Tuki Toussaint, Bryce Wilson, Kyle Wright, Ian Anderson, those types. What, I, what The reason why I think what's happened is so interesting is because we've seen guys like – hit or miss like Tuki Toussaint has not hit um he's shown flashes but he's clearly like not shown himself to be a, a guy who you would want to put out there consistently Sean Newcomb obviously was the same he's he's kind of teetering on whether he's more in the Mike Fulton camp or or these prospects camp um but Kyle Wright's now turning around but you got like a clear hit out of Ian Anderson I so all of this to say is I think that the Braves really they were able to really get a definitive view of who some of these guys are. And I think they have a clear picture now um, because they had to throw these guys into the fire um, of what they have going forward in these guys. Like they know what they have in Ian Anderson now. Um, I think they're starting to probably, you know, gain more confidence in what Kyle Wright is. Um, but and they also, on the other side of the coin, they know what Tuki Tucson is. They know what um, Sean Newcomb is, probably a bullpen arm. That kind of thing. So I think that they they were able to clarify some of those uh, starting pitching roles and some of those prospects that they have in the pipeline. And I think that that will help them going forward. And I will be interested to see, to Will's point, whether they are willing to invest more long term in a starting pitcher now that they kind of have a better idea of how all these um, stable of prospects are going to shake out. Yeah, that's why to to kind of piggyback <clears throat> off of Joe that's why I unlike Will I'm not that upset based on them like not pulling the trigger on a big you know like a Zach Wheeler or something like that in the offseason that's why I was furious at the trade deadline that there weren't you know the the, the Mike Clevenger deal wasn't done because, because you assume like they are like they had that evaluation at that point and they could have used that knowledge at that point to understand what they had and, and build up yeah, like like it it definitely seemed rather transparent at spring training what the plan was. Uh like you said of of getting these young arms ready and then if say Felix doesn't work out or if Cole, you know, took a little bit longer to to get his injury, you know, right like it ended up being, you had those young arms that you could kind of see and maybe you get uh, an Anibal Sanchez season out of Felix Hernandez. Unfortunately, those things didn't happen, and you were having to bring guys sooner than you wanted to, and you were able to see results faster than you probably normally would have, uh, and giving guys a much shorter leash. That's why I was just so frustrated at the deadline. I don't know that there's that really that that you know quote unquote frontline starter going to be available. This offseason, I mean, the guy, the names that I've seen to me seems like uh, a three at best as far as where you would put. It's, ba- it's Bauer and a bunch of scraps is yeah. really what it is. It's Tanaka. Yeah. Which means Bauer yeah. is going to get paid. <laughs> yeah. You're, and, not, getting, and you're I, not getting Bauer. You're yeah. Not getting and Bauer. I don't think Atlanta's the kind of team that's going to pay an aging starting pitcher like that. You know, it's yeah. one of those, quite honestly, I thought. Before the the injury, the Tommy John thing was announced this past week, I thought Justin Verlander was like prime candidate to be Atlanta Braves starter in 2021, just based on the moves that they made in the past. Obviously, now that's not going to happen, so maybe he'll be Braves starter 2022 uh, <laughs> or retire. Uh, but yeah, I just 
I don't see that big move being made in the in the offseason once again. And we're probably going to come back once again next season and be frustrated. I will just say I think the Braves have a pretty interesting, good looking rotation next year. When you talk about Mike Soroka, Max Fried, yeah, and Anderson sure. as being your one, two, three. It's I, I don't think they have huge holes to fill, despite the fact that it's been such a trouble spot for them this year I think that you're you're I, I think that you like if you're the Braves you kind of like the position you're in and and you can try to um you don't have to kind of really really take huge gambles there to really solidify that rotation next year I want one more guy that's just that's just my I'm opinion. with you I'm with you, you never have, you can never have too many starting you know too many as guys we found out this pitches. year we can yeah, never no have kidding. too many <laughs> Uh, we will take a larger look into who exactly the Braves are playing once we figure that out on Monday's edition of Batter Up. Uh, the series will go from Wednesday until Friday. We're still figuring out our coverage plans as far as that goes, but once we do, we will share them with you in our social media, not just at 92.9 The Game, but also at Willie P. Style, at J.A. Patrick 200, and at ATL Johnson 18. Hope everybody enjoyed the podcast and be happy. The Braves are back in the postseason, third consecutive year with a division title to play an opponent to be determined. Right now, if the season ended today, it'd be the Reds, but a lot of jockeying could change from now until the end of the season on Sunday. We say so long until then. For Joe Patrick, Caleb Johnson, Willie P. here. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.